We are in a series called Greater Than, and you walked into five vines hanging from our ceiling. That is to entice you to go listen to the podcast from last week. You'll have no idea what those are about unless you were here last week. Some of you are like, I was here last week. Think pitfall, okay? Pitfall. That's what it's about. Remember, come on now. And here's what we already established last week. We established that you aren't omni-anything, right? We're not omni-anything, and that's a good thing. Omni is godlike. That means all or every. So you aren't all or every. So when it talks about ministry, it means that not every ministry is for you. You're not a machine. You're not God. And this morning, what we're talking about is knowledge. And so clearly, we are not omniscient, right? So we're going to have to set some priorities with that. If you think about it, we don't even see it as a compliment to someone if they think they're all-knowing. You know, if someone comes and ever tells you, Hey, you're a real know-it-all, right? You don't say, thank you, (laughs) stop it some more. You know, you don't say that, right? Because that's not a compliment to be a know-it-all. It's clear you don't know it all. It means you're acting beyond what you know. I wasted a lot of good learning opportunity in school by asking this question while I sat in a classroom. Will I ever need to know this stuff? Anyone with me on that? Anyone ever asked that? A lot of times students ask that, right? When am I ever going to need this? My kids come home and ask that all the time. Well, I don't know when I'm going to need this stuff. Uh, and, and so a lot of times we, we miss out on, on good learning because we're, we're asking that question. Now what happens is people may start to think that they don't like learning, that they don't like knowledge, but here's the reality. If you point that same student towards something that they like to study, what happens? They light up. Right? They just get after it. Because all of a sudden, uh, either they've chosen to study it. Think GE to your major. Maybe they start having a propensity to learning. They're good at this. It's coming naturally to them. All this stuff they tried to learn over here, it just wasn't coming. And they like this. Or they just flat out like it and are interested. And that fuels a lot of, of learning. Here's the reality. We are hungry for knowledge. We are a people hungry for, for knowledge. We're hungry for learning. If you don't believe me, don't look in schools necessarily, although schools are packed and people pay large sums of money for that. Maybe there's all kinds of motives there. Just go to magazine racks. Magazine racks, what you'll see is you'll see a massively wide array of people who are hungry for more information. Pull up your phone and just start scrolling through and you'll just see there's there's a hunger for learning and for information out there. Listen to Proverbs 3. Uh, verse 13, it says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than, we're in a series called Greater Than, right? Choosing between two things and what's better. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. And her profit better than, there it is, gold. She is more precious, there it is again, than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Who's her? Wisdom and understanding. Proverbs does this a lot, kind of personifies wisdom and understanding. One of the means that we have of learning is just from one another. I don't know if we realize sometimes just how much we impact one another with our words. You ever find yourself thinking about something that someone said uh, long after they said it, and it may have been kind of an off-the-hand comment? 
It could have been hurtful or spiteful. It could have been kind of a name-calling. Or it could have been something that was, that was almost prophetic in nature. They said, man, when, when you do this, th- it does this to me. And that's kind of, you've kind of grabbed hold of that and thought, man, I, I love hearing. I love that God would use me to, to encourage someone or to teach someone or to befriend someone. So one of the means that we have of learning is just learning from one another. Now, we're from a tradition uh, here at Neighborhood Bible Church where we really believe in the preaching of Scripture. And the preaching of Scripture is something that we see in the Bible. And so we do a lot of that here. Every Sunday, you can plan on opening your Bible and hearing a message from God's Word. One of the things that we're weak in, though, is this. This is a family gathering. And I don't know if we always capture that. I think sometimes you could walk away and think that you're supposed to be a spectator here. You're not supposed to be a spectator. If we could, we'd just line this whole thing up like a giant family room. But it gets a little awkward with a lot of different people. So this morning, I posted this um, on, on the city this week. By the way, if you're new or if you're not new and you're not on the city, get on the city. It's our way to just stay connected beyond Sunday morning. It's virtual, so it's not quite as good as, as, as in-person, but it's a tool that actually creates and generates in-person meetings all throughout the week. I just posted this on the city this week um, with this simple open-ended question, what are you learning? And um, there's an opportunity to go ahead and weigh in there, but I also said, hey, I'm going to open it up both services just to hear from you. So one of the things we're going to do this morning is just have a little testimony time. What are you learning? You can answer that question. Some of you have come prepared for that. Some of you may have not. We're not going to take a ton of time for this. So if your heart's pounding and you know you should stand up, just stand up and share, okay? So what are you learning? Listen, we don't need to wait till Sunday morning, right, to, to do this. I mean, this is just family sharing. Isn't this a great open-ended question to just share with one another? Hey, what are you learning? You know, instead of asking always, how are you doing? Hey, what are you learning? The truth is you're always learning something. You're always going after something and... Asking that question and genuinely wanting to hear back prompts a person, even for some self-evaluation, what am I learning right now? I'm sure it's something. I just feel beat up right now. What is it, God, that you're showing me? What do you want to, what do you want to reveal to me about yourself uh, in, in the midst of this? One of the big ideas this morning is that Jesus welcomes curiosity. Keep learning. There's more. He, he said this, ask, seek, and knock. And, and the way the language reads there, it actually says this. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Keep on doing this. Don't think that you've arrived somehow. There's more. And so Jesus beckons us on. Now, of all that I could know, of all that you could learn, what is it that is best? That's really what this series is about. Many of us have many things that we can learn at our fingertips, right? And probably at no point in human history is it more important to focus what we go after knowledge-wise than right now. Okay, let me illustrate. Why is Apple better than Microsoft? I can't answer that, but Apple.com should be able to. Okay. So I can go to Apple.com and discover the reason for that. What does the fox say? Okay, so what we could do is we could, we could play the Ask Theory game for the next three hours, right? And wake up and go, what kind of loser am I figuring out all the things Siri could say? I've got to get on with my life, right? There's so much we could sit and kind of fritter away with this. Ask Siri later on today or whatever the Android version of that is. 
Ask them why you struggle with sin. Ask about your purpose in life. Ask some of the questions that actually matter. I got some funny responses from Siri. Here's the bottom line. She wasn't really that helpful to me. Of all that we could learn, what should we learn? What should we be giving ourselves to? What is it that we should focus on? Anyone study for finals recently? Anyone take finals recently? Let's start there. Okay, how many of you studied for finals recently? Okay, what did you study? Everything. Okay, Cassie must be a really good student uh, because she, she studied it all. Um, but, but, if, but if there's a whole big textbook, what did you focus on? Topics that were covered, right? Some teachers are gracious enough to say explicitly, this is going to be on the final. And everyone's like, oh, you know, we better write that one down. Of all that you can study, here's the parts that are on the final. Here's the things to review. If your teacher hands you a review sheet of some sort, you better know that backward and forward in favor of, you know, reading maybe other parts of the chapter of the book that might be more important to you. Uh, Whether we believe it or not, whether we are mindful of it or not, finals is coming for all of us. There's kind of this final exam that's coming. And in some ways, we're prepping for it right now. So it stands to reason that in life, we would study most what the teacher deems important, just like in the classroom. If the teacher is highlighting something and drawing attention to it and saying, hey, listen to this, this is really important, we ought to pull the number two pencil out and write that one down and focus on that. There's a finals coming and we're prepping for it. This is kind of the gist of this morning, higher education. There's just a vast category of knowledge out there, really interesting things to learn, really interesting pursuits to go after. What is it that our teacher calls attention to? If you're taking notes, there's a big bunch of blank this morning, so you get to kind of write down whatever's uh, meaningful to you. But if you're going to go back and look at this at all, write down Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you hear the distinction? If you're one of Christ, then your thinking is going to be different. If you're a Christian, set your mind here. There's a choice involved. Set it here and not here. There are things to leave behind as a Christian. There are things to stop learning about as a Christian. And you know what? Sometimes in the flesh, we can just naturally go back to the things that we kind of killed time with or pursued or whatever in the flesh. And this morning is a call to say, man, lift your gaze, lift your, lift your eyes and set your mind where it ought to be. Turning your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter is at the far back of the scripture, as hopefully most of you know. If you don't, you just learn something new. Check that one off. There's a Bible sitting in front of you. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, keep the Bible. Read the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. One of the things that John Piper challenges pastors to do, and I really like him doing this, it kind of rung true with me with some other college profs I had, training up pastors, saying this, pastors, teach your congregations why God inspired hard texts. Teach the church why there are difficult things to learn in the scriptures. Don't avoid them. 
There are some things that you're going to read in Scripture and just go, huh? Scratch your head. There are other things you're going to go, how can those both be true? God inspired hard text, certainly for a number of reasons, but let me give you one of them. One of them is to illustrate a reality. God's ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. We just sing, you're my best thought by day or by night. If I think on you, God, that's, that's the best thought I've done all day. But God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. If you have figured out God finally, watch out. Man, you're in a deadly place. Because you've actually set yourself equal, not just with the teacher, but with the creator of the universe. Of course we're not going to figure God out. I wanna, I've been laying out for you a couple different times. It's just worked out this way. But I'm going to lay out for you again this morning kind of two parallel truths that sound contradictory. It sounds like, like a bit of a paradox uh, that, that I'm going to lay out for you. But I'm going to show you a place here in Second Peter where both of these truths reside in the same chapter. There's all kinds of places in Scripture that we could go to see this, but I'm going to show it to you right here in the same chapter. Here it is. You are given all that you need, including knowledge. That's piece one. Rest in that. Plus, you are to grow up in knowledge. You are to add to what you know. You're to grow in knowledge. So you've been given everything you need, including knowledge, and you're to work at it, strive at it, grow up in it. Doesn't that sound like a paradox? It does to me. That sounds a bit challenging. Let's read, follow along with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, there it is, of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us, catch this, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pause for a moment. You have been given all these different things. Did you see the word knowledge two times in these opening four verses? Knowledge is important. Learning is important. A clear understanding is really important. Now he says this. You've been given all that you need for life and godliness. Verse 5. For this very reason, building upon that, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with, what's the word? Knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much more in this passage then we're going to take time to uncover. But I want to just pull up a couple of nuggets that are maybe just under the surface to tempt you to say, go after it. There's more down there. 
Don't, don't just let me dig around and find a couple truths and be satisfied. There's more in here. Man, the fact that you can be unfruitful and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to scare the daylights out of you. It ought to wake you up if you're serious about the things of God. You mean I could continue to grow and strive and pursue in knowledge and even get degrees attached to my name and it would be unfruitful? It wouldn't glorify you, God? Yes, that's what the passage is saying. One of the things I want you to do this morning is to take comfort in the knowledge that you possess. Just to take comfort in the knowledge that's been granted to you, that's been given to you. Sometimes people don't step out in ministry. All last week was talking about doing ministry. And they don't step out in ministry because they don't think they're qualified. They don't open their mouth. Neil is a great apologist. He loves to engage people with just reason and logic about their worldview. And and sometimes people don't step out on that. Why? Because they're afraid that they won't know enough. They're afraid that they're unqualified in some way, shape, or form. Where all along, the scriptures keep teaching us, man, go. God's with your mouth. Moses, you're slow of speech. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to teach you what to say in the moment. So go. Get out there and engage in it. If you know God, catch this, that is a gift. That's been given to you. No one in this room is any smarter than anyone else in that regard. God has enlightened you. God's given you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond So even the fact that we know God, even the fact that you're here pursuing God, seeking to obey God, is is pure gift. That's That's been graciously granted to you. R.C. Sproul was a is a philosopher and theologian, and he was asked, What is the greatest spiritual need in the world today? Think about that. What is the greatest spiritual need in the world today? Here was his answer. He thought for a moment, he said this for people to discover the true identity of God. He said the greatest spiritual need in the world today is for people to discover the true nature, the true identity of God. He said most non-religious people do not really understand the God they are rejecting. If they did, they would probably call a truce, at least a temporary truce, to find out if this is a battle that's really worth continuing or not. The interviewer asked him a follow-up question. What is the greatest spiritual need of church people? To that, he shot back the exact same answer, to discover the true identity of God. He said, if believers really understood the character and the personality and the nature of God, it would revolutionize their lives. Wow. How important is it to know God? Another way of asking it, how important is it to be known by God? At the start of a message where I am pushing us as a church, church, lean into this, work at this, sweat at this, struggle with this. I want to start by saying rest in the fact that it's not about how much knowledge you have about God, but that God has knowledge of you that we rest in. That's the gospel message. This is not grow more, learn more. This is like a Gnostic heresy that started way back when. Secret knowledge. And if you could just learn enough, God will be happy with you. Man, we live in an education valley. That preaches. That preaches. 
because I'm one of the I'm one of the elite. I'm gold star status up here. God's really happy with me. Nonsense, the Bible says. So I want you to rest in the fact that God knows you. That's far more important than anything you'll ever know about God. And yet, these truths sit side by side. Not only do we rest in what's given to us, we strive ahead. We grow in what we know. By the way, this is the essence of worship. The essence of worship, the essence of what we're doing here, singing, sitting here and listening to the scripture, interacting with one another, engaged in one another's lives, serving and doing ministry together, is, is growing in this. Our affections grow as we, as we know God. The more we know of God, the more we love God. It's nonsense to separate those two. Our prayer life grows as we know. Our longing for purity grows as we know. Our courage to witness, our contentment, all these things get raised up as we know God. So, grow in what you know. Rest in what you've been given and grow in what you know. Jesus calls us to deeper water. So many people are content to kind of let their toes, I was at the beach a couple days ago, and just let their toes kind of, kind of tickle, tickle their feet a little bit. And if they're really courageous, they'll go out you know, ankle deep. And Jesus is beckoning us on saying, there is so much more. I'm calling you out to deeper waters. Come with me. It must be for our good and for God's glory that you, Christian, are commanded to grow up in knowledge. This is not like, get to your studies because I want to punish you. This is for your good. People in Jesus' day asked some similar questions to people in our day, and they concerned themselves with these things. What's for lunch? What is there to drink? What am I going to wear? Jesus comes along, and he beckons his disciples out into deeper water. He says, you know what, the people of this world, they're they're so concerned. They're so all-consumed with all of this. You, I want your attention to be on the kingdom. Your father already knows all that you need in these areas. Come on out to the deep water. Let me tell you as the teacher what to focus on for the final. That stuff's going to take care of itself. You get out here with me into the deeper water of matters of the kingdom. Proverbs 18.15 says this, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. In the context of prophecy and spiritual gifts and tongues and building up the church, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I don't know if you like to read biographies, but I would challenge you to read biographies of great Christian brother, brothers and sisters who've gone before us. There's so much to learn from yesteryear. Sometimes we have a little bit of a snobbery of, of time where we think what's modern is best. There's some really powerful people to just read from the past and, and to see people who suffered not just to the point of blood or hardship, but even death. You begin to realize these weren't, these weren't infants in their thinking. You don't go to your death because you're not going to deny Christ, because you sort of think he was a good teacher. 
You don't put your whole life and everything and the risk of your family on the line because you're pretty sure the Bible's accurate and it's got some good truths in there. These are men and women who are rock solid in their thinking and it revolutionized their life. Let me put up a couple of scriptures for you um, that again you can jot down and do more study on your own. But Ephesians 4.13 says this, talking about the training uh, of, of pastors ought to do. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Do you see that it's a mark of immaturity to be wishy-washy? Switchfoot has a line in a song, just fantastic. It says, suspicion is the new religion. Question everything. You know what's such a cop-out about that? Turn that around and pin the other person and say, what are you building your life on? What is your foundation? What is your worldview of that? Many people that I've engaged in conversation with that have, have straw that they're saying, just crumbly nothingness there. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained, catch this, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from from dead works and of faith toward God and of the instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What a great prayer for our church. Church, this we will do. If God permits this, we're going we're to grow up in this. We're going to be pushed in this. Can I say something weird? I don't really need your permission. I have the mic. <laughs> You're like, what's new? You say a lot of weird things. Um, without intending to do so, I actually hope some of you are bored sometimes when I'm preaching. I, I know that's odd. And I'm not a masochist of some sort. But, but what that tells me is um, I could probably stand up here and come up with 20 minutes of stuff that just kind of keeps you laughing and keeps you engaged. That might be kind of fun, um, but it would be just giving you cotton candy every single Sunday. Here you go, Melissa. Here's more cotton candy. Who wants Reese's Pieces? Travis. And just, and just on and on it goes. Your soul's never fed. You're weak and wilted. You get a stomachache afterwards. You're not helped by this at all. I genuinely hope that as, as people are preaching up here, I hope there are times that you just go, or, or I hope there are times you just scratch your head and go, I'm lost. I don't even get where you're going. I'm not trying to impress you by, by being way up here. I, I don't care to do that. That's utter nonsense. But neither do I just want to come and give dot-to-dot kindergarten drawings every week. I don't think that helps you. I, I love you way too much to just, to just leave you in that place. And so if God permits... God, would you, would you lead us on into deeper waters? You know what that means? That means sometimes when you bring your friends to church, they're going to come and go, man, I didn't get that at all. 
What's the opportunity there? Take them out to lunch and start walking with them through it. Let me help bring you up to speed. Our pastor wasn't trying to impress you with a bunch of big theological words. That's not his gig. But, but, but he is calling us on to other things. He is challenging us out into the deeper waters. We live, friends, in, in a biblically, I'm kind of a historically, biblically illiterate time. When I go read about what common people knew, I'm thinking, hey, I'm a pastor. I don't know any of that stuff. That puts me to shame. That means there's more to grow in. That means there's more to learn. This is not new. Uh, later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, here, here's what Peter, the rock, Peter, the guy all through the Gospels, right? He's writing this letter, and he's talking about Paul, okay? The guy that wrote much of the New Testament. Here's Peter commenting on Paul, other portions of Scripture. He says, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom, wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Amen? Yes. Paul doesn't believe in periods, right? He just does these run-on sentences. You're like, dude, stop. The English teacher's laughing over here. He just keeps on going, right? And, and to try to get at that in a different language, in a different culture, that's really hard sometimes. And there are some things that are hard to understand. There are some things that culturally land on my ears and go, ooh, that doesn't sound right at all. What, what could that possibly mean? It says there are some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. There's going to be people that are going to take God's word, infallible as it is, and they're going to twist it for their own pocket. They're going to twist it for their own namesake. They're going to twist it to justify their own lifestyle. Who's in submission to who with that? The word is in submission to the speaker rather than the other way around. Here's the instruction. Do you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability? Here's the, here's the mandate. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not talking to pastors, missionaries, seminary teachers, or people who are given to be bookworms. This is all Christians. All of us are to grow up in grace and in knowledge, not just a select few. Here's a quick word of warning. There is too much of a good thing here. We teach our kids this, knowledge is power. But sometimes learning hurts the power to make other people feel stupid, right? There's, a, there's the ability to learn and wield it in a way that is not God-honoring, that is not by God's design. Let me give you just, just a couple of these. One is that it can be a temptation. Just the desire for knowing can be a temptation. Think the Garden of Eden. Just that hunger for knowledge, that hunger to, to, to be in the place of God and to be knowing, there's something about that that is incredibly enticing to many people. Uh, secondly, there's bad information, namely gossip. The next time someone comes to you and says, Psst, hey, did you know? You know what your answer is? No, and I don't want to know. When you shut down a gossip, you aren't invited into that circle the next time. You know that? Sometimes that's painful in the moment, but in the long run, you're walking like Christ did. Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever repeats the matter 
separates close friends. Some knowledge is not worth knowing. Proverbs 26.20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Don't become an accomplice in this sin. Repent of it. Stop it. If you're the gossip, repent of that. Stop it. If you're close friends with the gossip and you know that person can't stop talking about things, rebuke them in the love of Jesus. See, this is destroying relationships. Stop it. Thirdly, it can be a burden. Ecclesiastes 1.18 says this, Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. The more you know, sometimes the more you grieve. Oswald Chambers said this in a book called Approved Unto God. He says, beware of knowing what you don't practice. Man, the American church is in some scary ground here, I think. Beware of knowing what you don't practice. Sometimes we can tend to heap on more and more knowledge of things, thinking that somehow that will quench the fires of temptation that week, and they don't, do they? More knowledge, knowing the right thing to do, doesn't stop that. That doesn't change my will all the time by itself. So just the accumulation of knowledge, uh, in some ways, we might just be keeping up more and more wrath, just saying, I, I can't stand there and say, I didn't know. You were one of the most educated Christians around. Here's another one. It can lead to pride. Answers can become idols. Anything that you set up in front of God or in place of God or above God, that becomes an idol. That means that answers, knowledge, the quest for knowledge and learning can become an idol. The Bible can become an idol. According to 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Don't let it become prideful to know things. Finally, by itself, it doesn't satisfy. Again, this is Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, both sides of the spectrum. And I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. In and of itself, life under the sun, without honoring God in it, that doesn't satisfy. So maybe you think, great, I hated school anyways, I don't like learning stuff, I'm off the hook. Keep reading in Ecclesiastes, that's a nightmare too. He says, man, I gave myself to that. All the while kind of remaining where I could observe, that's chasing after the wind too. Besides, I've just shown you from Scripture, you're commanded to this. You're commanded to grow in this. Trust your Heavenly Father that He knows what's best for you. All right, let me give you a couple of practical helps as we leave. Uh, WWJK, what would Jesus know? Uh, We're trying to line up our knowledge and the priorities of Jesus. It doesn't quite work with Jesus. Because, well, you see, Jesus is God, right? So our knowledge will always be something different than that of Christ. 
But Jesus is the teacher. And so as the teacher, he gets to set the curriculum. He gets to say, this is what you should focus on. These are the things I want to highlight for you. So, listen to the sweeping kind of of statement that Jesus makes in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. How much? All of it. What's the good part of Jesus' teaching? All of it. Do you see that he says teaching them to observe? That's more than just content, isn't it? That's content and conviction. It's not just knowing the right thing to do. It's showing people how to walk in that, how to live in that. It's motivating to have the, the conviction to actually live out their beliefs. It's not enough just to pour some knowledge into our brains. Just one and a half chapters of the Sermon on the Mount cover these kinds of topics. Listen and see if there isn't deeper water and more to learn. He covers attitudes, evangelism, the law, anger, lust, divorce, the taking of oaths, retaliation, giving to the needy, worry, and prayer. Jesus covered a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. That's just a chapter and a half. There's a lot of red words in your scripture. Learn them. But he also boils all of that down to some simple phrases. This also is found in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Isn't that kind of Jesus to give us the easy reader version? This is the law and the prophets. I'm talking to you about a whole bunch of different stuff. But if you want a little nugget that you can just grab onto, that's what you're ready for, here it is. It's called the golden rule. That's what we call it. Do unto others as you'd have them to do. Can you remember that? Yeah, I think I got, I think I got that. All right. Learn what that means. Now, don't leave the other stuff beyond that. Some of you have had hold of that since you were eight years old. If you're in your 40s like I am now, you ought to have grabbed for more. There ought to be more down the road. Grab onto that and move on. In Matthew 10, 16, he sends the disciples out with this ominous-sounding warning. He's sending them out to do ministry, and he says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So you are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We talked about ministry last week, five pitfalls to avoid in ministry. And you ought to learn what this means. What does it mean to be wise as a serpent? Jesus, what are you telling me with this? Innocent as doves. I better figure out what that means. Keep on reading the words of Jesus and you'll, be, you'll continue to get a sense of what is worth your focus and attention. You'll begin by, by giving yourself to the good. You'll by, by default eliminate a lot of the nonsense that you might keep up on. I hope you don't care what Kim Kardashian is doing today. I really, I, I hope that you just go, I hope some of you are like Kim who? Good! Please don't go look it up now that I've mentioned it. Please, no. That would be reverse of what needs to happen. Uh, we're going to end our time this morning. We have two educators. Uh, come on up, Kirk and Audrey. Uh, we have two educators in our midst, and they have been listening to the master teacher here for a good chunk of their life, and they are in the process of making some significant changes, and I just wanted them to have an opportunity to share a little bit, kind of with their own mouth, a little bit about what God's teaching them and, and kind of how God's brought them to this point.
with the Hintons. This is just a family that we've met here at church, and they've just grown to become really, really dear friends, and to take the things that they're learning from God and just applying it. And, and for them, it looks like packing up your life in 12 tubs, saying goodbye to people here, uh, enduring some of the different unknowns and things, and stepping out in faith and following where God is going to lead. I think it's just so neat that part of our church family last week we got to Skype with in China. She was gracious enough to get up in the middle of the night and Skype with us. And in a few short weeks, they'll be taking a plane ride with two toddler and younger. So, yes, they need prayer over to Kenya. And we're going to miss you guys. We're going to miss you. We're going to get to actually say a a big goodbye to them in two weeks uh, after church. You're going to get to hear a little bit more of just what they'll be doing there and how we can be praying. But... I wanted you to hear from them now because you only have them for a couple more weeks just to rub shoulders with people to say, man, how did you get to a place of decision? Because I've thought this before too, or, or I've been nudged in this way. It may look totally different than teaching at an international school in Nairobi, Kenya, but that's a pretty big step of faith. And you don't just get there uh, overnight. Listen, let me invite the band up and let me just close with this. I want to kind of offer you this parting thought with regard to knowledge. Get to know God. Get to know God. Uh, I don't know how cliche this is, but here's the pastor saying, read your Bible. The Bible points to God. But the end goal isn't more Bible knowledge. It's knowledge of the God that the Bible points to. I just jotted down three ideas or three ways to kind of make use of that. Uh, The first is to use your church family. Coming here and sitting under teaching prompts some things for you. Is that true? Is what he just said really true? Did he take that out of context? Huh, that's a good point. I need to go study that. Those are things that should be firing off in your brain, and you should be growing in that, taking what you learn and applying it. Some people, are, some people have come to me and said, hey, we don't have this kind of Bible study, but this other church does. Is that cool if I go over to that other church? I say, absolutely. Go, go to that other church and, and, and use that. I want you to have a local church family, yes. But we're not everything to all people. And go, go and be blessed by other things there. There's so many helps for you right now, podcasts and books and teachings and helps in your Bible that you may not even know about. Get with someone who knows about them and start walking in that. The second thing is something called the Heidelberg Catechism. And you're like, uh-oh, here we go. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism I bought for my iPad several months ago. It cost me $1.99. For $1.99 on my phone and in my iPad at any given time, I have an amazing wealth of great thinking. A catechism is simply a way of learning by asking questions and hearing the answer to it. I didn't grow up in this tradition, but some of you are like, oh, no, don't say the word catechism because you have fear of it because you were raised in a tradition where they just beat that into you. You know what? Get over that. I'm coming at it fresh. And there's such a wealth of great information in that, that that is really, really helpful and vital to to to, to the spiritual walk. Um, kind of a kind of a neat way. A lot of people have done a lot of good thinking on it. Go lean on them. Finally, is just ask, seek, and knock. Stay curious. Stay curious. My dad asked me a really great question one time when I was a little kid. He came to me, and I think he was just trying to prompt me to teach me the importance of Bible study, my own personal devotions, whatever else. And, um, and he came to me, and he was kind of trying to invite me into that. And he said, he said, what sounds interesting? And I thought for about two seconds, I thought, you know, Joshua sounds interesting, because Joshua did cool stuff, and I think he had a big sword. So my dad said, great, start reading in Joshua. That's it. That's it. 
I was a little kid. What more to it was it than that? I just started where it seemed interesting. I would say the same to you. This is a good book. Pick it up and start reading. If you land in a genealogy, great. Come ask me about that. We'll, we'll help you out with some of that. Flip over a few pages. Start reading the Bible if you haven't been. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for, for your word, for testimony, for the way that music brings truth into our life. I pray, Lord, that uh, even as we continue to worship now, you be praised. Amen.